You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mzbcstudents. that it's, it's your breath, God's breath. It's, it's your breath in our lungs. It's his breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Then we said, we said, all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry and these bones will sing. That's powerful stuff, man. That's, that's, that's a statement. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of weight behind that. And I think for most of us in the room, most of us, we, we, we really want to mean that. But I think sometimes, like a lot of things we sing, I think that um, sometimes it can be more than a wish than a truth. It can be more than, of a wish than a truth to say our hearts are crying out to you. Our, our very bones will sing. Sometimes that can be more of a wish than a truth, can it? It's kind of like positive thinking. When you walk in a test, right, you haven't really studied very much, but you kind of like kind of psych yourself up and you're like, I will pass this test, right? You're like, maybe just saying that, like, like push, maybe that's not a bad thing to do, right? It's like kind of some wishful thinking to kind of push you a little bit positive direction. Maybe you're not so, so nervous or whatever, right? But that's kind of like, sometimes I think that's maybe some of what we do when we, we come to this place and we know some of the stuff that we sing is not, not exactly true of us. It's not really where we've been. It's not even necessarily where we are at that moment. We're saying this stuff, and it's kind of a a statement of wish. Man, I I wish that that my heart cried out to God like it did. I wish my very bones cried out to God like they did that time. I talk to students a lot, man, um, who are trying to figure out how to have a consistent relationship with God, and and they, they talk about these memories, right? Maybe you've got these memories, and maybe your memory was like back at Centerfuge or something, right? And there was that one worship service where it just felt like you could just reach out and hold hands with Jesus. It was that kind of that kind of moment. Or maybe it was a D now or something, and like this this room is literally rattling. Like I'm worried about the stained glass windows. Like the people on the other side are going to get get mad because we're about to literally blow a window out of here because it's just roar coming out of you. Remember being part of stuff like that, where it just felt like God was just tangible in in this in like in your life. Maybe, maybe it's a time when you were, um, that one time you had a quiet time or something like that, that one time you spent time with God in the morning, it was kind of early, you got up and you finally followed through with your plan, you're sitting there in prayer and you, you, you know, a couple minutes pass, and you're finally getting honest with God and just pouring out your heart to God and it's just you and him and it's almost like he's sitting across the table from you. We had these memories when it was true. But then we get into these, these uh, periods of time, sometimes extended periods of time where it's, it's not necessarily true, it's more of a wish. We come to these points where we're very, very dry spiritually, but that living water has evaporated and, 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 and where we are is in a, in a point of dryness um, and thirst. There is no quenching where there's a desire for a relationship with God. There's a desire for this abiding relationship with him. That's not something you have a hold of. We all go through these periods of dryness. 
these periods of distance from God, whether that's just apathy on our part where we just haven't been putting in the time, you know, we haven't been doing what James says where we draw near to God and he draws near to us. We haven't been doing that and we've kind of been a little bit lazy and then a little bit more lazy and then all of a sudden we're not doing anything. And then when we do come to worship services like this, it feels weird because you're, you're, I'm, I'm so at odds with, I'm so distant from God that when I'm saying these words on these screens and stuff, it just feels wrong a little bit. That, that's dryness. There's different levels of that. I mean, some, man, some of y'all end up in years of times like this. Maybe it's a sin issue. I don't know what your thing is that puts you there, but you, you've been in these moments of dryness. I've been in these moments of dryness. I, I remember um, uh, well, me and Jessica have been together like 15 years, and I'm 31. All right, so like we, we started dating when we were 17 years old, so we've seen each other through a lot of ebbs and flows in each other's relationship with God. We've got to walk with each other through those things. And I remember being in college, and Jessica and I were both at the same time in one of these periods of, of dryness where it just wasn't clicking, man. Like, we just felt like I was this, this distant, far-off thing. And, like, we tried different stuff. We just couldn't get there. It just, was just bad. We had been talking about it some, trying to figure out what to do about it. And I remember sitting in the car in front of this rental house I lived in that was basically the worst house I've ever seen in my entire life. And I lived in the dining room of it. I didn't even have a bedroom. So I'm sitting outside because outside is nicer than where I sleep. Anyway, so we're outside in the car, and we're hanging out. And I, and I just remember saying, like, do you remember how it was? She's like, yeah. He said, we miss that. We miss how it was. See, your relationship with Jesus is not supposed to be a memory. Your, the, the, this abiding relationship with Jesus is not supposed to be a memory. This heart cry, this bone cry is not supposed to be something that you experienced at one point in the past and then just proceed in this desert of dryness spiritually. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. But I think that's where a lot of you live. This reminds me of this passage in Ezekiel chapter 37. It's, where it's part of, that's one passage where that, that song that we, we just sang, it comes from. So Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to be in our, in our text tonight. If you want to get a Bible off a windowsill or get your phone out or whatever, but do something and get your eyes on the, on the, the passage. Now, I just, I don't mention this a lot. I know that my phone is incredibly distracting to me. So whenever I have it in my hands, um, I love that multitask where I can swipe over to other things and I can like get a couple of messages sent and check Instagram real quick and then come back to the text, but I zone out of the message the entire time. If that's you, I just want you to take your phone, I want you to flip it face down and put it on the ground and don't touch it, all right? Like if you're, if you're with me and your inability not to multitask, just put it face down, don't, like not even up against your leg because it'll buzz, you know what I'm saying? That's just like standard operating procedure, man. If you don't want to be bothered by your phone, don't touch it, all right? So face down on the ground, um, and everybody will think you're super holy, so that'd be good for you. So Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to be tonight, and this is what it says. It, it begins um, with, with Ezekiel writing about a vision he had, all right? So this is, this is not necessarily like an actual, like, physical thing. This is a vision that God's giving Ezekiel um, where he's seeing the stuff that God has, God has portraying to him, all right? So it's a vision. So it says that, um, that the hand of the Lord was upon me. That's Ezekiel talking. The hand of the Lord was upon me. If y'all coming in, Ezekiel 37, that's where you're at. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit and, and set me down in the middle of a valley, all right? We live in the Tennessee Valley. This is a much smaller valley. This is like a, like, between two, two uh, mountain slopes kind of valley, like a small, like a smaller kind of area, Okay. So it brings me out and this sets me down this valley. And in verse 1 it says, and it was full of bones. So that's creepy, right? It's a little creepy. We just had Halloween. Did you have a good Halloween? 
If you walked into a valley of bones, you'd be freaked out, right? And so it's just fitting. This November 2nd, we're talking about valleys of bones. It's good. See, it's timely. Everything's nice. And so, so, so God takes Ezekiel, and he gets this vision of being set down in this valley of, of bones. And this isn't like elephant bones or something. This is like people bones. Whole valley full of people bones. Not somewhere I want to hang out. You probably don't either. That's where he is. It says that, and, and, and he being the Lord, this is this vision of, of God leading Ezekiel around among the bones. It says, that, and behold, there, there were many on the surface of the, of the valley, and they were very dry. So, so God is walking around with Ezekiel. He's having this, Ezekiel's having this vision of himself walking around this valley of just skeletons everywhere. There's as many of them. They're not, and they're not, it's like partly decomposed or something. It's just completely, completely dry. Just a pile of bones. And they're walking around this thing together, and God just kind of, he's tour guide of this valley of destruction, this valley of death, this, this valley of dryness and Ezekiel. I mean, I, I would be freaking out. I mean, like, that would, that's terrifying. Be in a, in a place and, and see the, the, that destruction level and that death just all around you. And God speaks, and he says to Ezekiel in verse 3, he says, Son of man, can these bones live? It's like, Ezekiel, just, just look around. You're surrounded by these, these like whitewashed, like dried out old bones. They're everywhere. The whole valley's full of them. Ezekiel, can these bones live? See, when you're, when you're dry enough, this question hits you differently. Because when we're singing about our bones crying out and then we're reading about the dryness with which a lot of us find ourselves, and it's a valid question. Maybe you've been at a point of dryness spiritually where, where this becomes a serious question, where you're asking yourself, like, can, can this dried out skeleton of a person get back to a point of vibrancy in my relationship with Jesus? Can this dried out husk of a person, the wretch that I am, can I get back to a point where I'm abiding and, and just enjoying and living? Can I get past, can I even, is it possible for me to get past this dryness anymore? To get back to where I remember being that one time? Can these bones live? Might be a valid question for you, man. You might be so dried out. You might be so dead spiritually. Christians in the room, man. You might be, be so distant now you wonder how to even get back. If you're not a Christian in the room, that's still a valid question for you, and you sense this, this like distance from this guy that we talk about, and there's this awkwardness there, and you're like, I don't know how to traverse that distance. I don't know if, I don't know if this is possible. And the possibility is what God's asking about. He asks Ezekiel, is this possible? Is it possible for these dried out old bones to be made alive again? Ezekiel's smart. He just turns the question back on God. He says, oh, God, you know. Basically, I have no idea, but you're God, and I'm not going to tell you no. So, mm, I don't know. You, you know, though, right? God answers. He says, Ezekiel, speak over these bones and say to them, bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord uh, God said to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you, 
and you shall live. This is God telling Ezekiel to speak the word of the Lord over these bones. He says, I will cause breath to enter you, and you'll live. I'll lay sinews upon you, and I'll cause flesh to come on you, and I'll cover you with skin, and I'll put breath in you, and you will live. And when you live, you will know that I'm the Lord. He tells Ezekiel to speak to people, to speak to these skeletons, these dried out husks of people, these bones just scattered about. Look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my breath in you. I'm going to put you back together. And when my breath comes on, you're going to live. And when you finally experience real life, you're going to know that I'm God because ain't nobody can do that but me. And so Ezekiel says the words over the valley of the bones. So he speaks it. And then it says that Ezekiel hears a rattling. How creepy is that? You're in a valley of bones, and you're supposed to say some stuff over, this, over these bones, and then you start hearing a rattling. I don't want to know what it sounds like for a pile of human bones to rattle against one another. I don't really want to know what that sounds like, but you can just kind of like imagine that. It's probably pretty gross, right? Yeah. Think about what the finger bones would sound like. I know, right? Like that's how I want you to think about this. A rattling. That's gross, y'all. But that's how dried out it is. Like, a, <laughs> there's no squish. It's all rattle. That's nasty, all right? And so Ezekiel's in this valley, and he speaks this word, and, and God says, I'm going to do this, and you're going to know that I'm God. And then it starts to rattle. And it says, after the rattle, uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just hearing that in my head. It's super gross. Um, it says that the, after the rattle, that the, the bones began to move, and they began to come together. Now remember, this is a vision. This isn't like he's standing there, okay? And the, the, the bones begin to come together, and then it says that sinews, that's a gross word, sinews start, start attaching themselves around these bones. And then flesh starts coming up around it. Think about just, we'll stop and imagine that portion of the vision, right? We've got bones, they rattled. Now there's just flesh. There's no skin yet. Yuck. <laughs> So now we've got a valley full of fleshy people. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> I, this whole day, I've been, I just wanted you to imagine this with me. You could suffer with me, right? And so it says that the flesh, the flesh comes upon it. And then, and then finally, thank you, skin covered it. Good. But in verse 8, it says, says but. But. It says in verse 8, but there was no breath in them. They're not moving. They have the appearance of life, right? So what was dead now has the appearance of life, and it looks like it's fully put together. We got the, the skin over the flesh now, so that's good, right? We, it, it looks like a person, but it's not doing anything. There's no life in it. It's not, it's not vibrant. It's not moving. It's not enjoying anything. It's just, it's just there. It's still dead. It has the appearance of life, but it's still dead because there's no breath in it. Some of you guys... Look at me. Some of you walk around like that. Some of you, I walk up to you, and, 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 and maybe I was, I, you've told me that you became a Christian at a certain point, or maybe I was there when you became a Christian at a certain point, or maybe some of you guys, maybe like some of us that, that kind of get so far gone that I, I find you at a football game or something, and man, it's just, there's a death there. Like, it just doesn't feel like you're alive anymore. You don't feel vibrant. You don't feel like living water. You feel dead. You feel dead spiritually. Sometimes I think we get so dried out that we, we just, we, 
the vibrancy, the, the, the authenticity, the, the enjoyment of what it's supposed to be to have this relationship with God just drains out of you. And I don't think you realize it. I don't think these bodies realize that they were not living. And it says they weren't living. They weren't doing anything because, because God's breath wasn't in them. I think you feel this. I think that those of you who aren't a Christian in the room, I think you feel this. I think that you feel like this walking around deadness to you. I think that you feel that there's this emptiness, there's this something that's not right. Christians particularly, man, when you, kinda, when you get this far, you feel it. You know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You have these memories that are the way it was supposed to be. And now where you are, you're like, how did I get here? Have you been there? Are you there? I think sometimes we end up feeling like those balloons from our game or just like limp and formless, purposeless, not really good for much. We're lacking that breath that's supposed to be inside us, this breath of God that gives us shape, that gives us form, and we, we're, without it, we're limp and we're lifeless. In verse 10, it says that God's breath, finally, God's breath came into those, those bodies, those bones that had been put together and given the appearance of life. And finally, God's breath comes into them. And it says that they lived and they stood on their feet. See, God is the one, students. God is the one who makes us come alive. God is the one who can make you come alive. Those of you who aren't a Christian in the room, you've never trusted this, this Jesus before, you're not really sure how all this works together. I'm, I'm, I just want you to know for in my life, like I've gone through periods of distance, I, I've, I've done this. I want you to know that God can make you come alive the way that he's made me come alive. Christians, if you're so distant from God that you feel like, a, like, like the dry bones in the valley, you need to hear that God can make you come alive. No matter how bad things have been, no matter how distant things have been, no matter how apathetic and lazy you have been, God can make you come alive because he's God. He's the giver of breath. He's the one that breathed life in you in the first place, and he can do it again. We are the ones who are dry and lifeless. He is the one who comes and saves. He is the one who restores and redeems. So when we sing, you give life, that's what that means. Or you give hope, you restore. When we say, it's your breath in our lungs, we're saying more than just like, you gave me air so I can sing words. Like there's more than that. And God is the one who gives us life and breath, who gives us form and function. He's the one who made dry bones come alive in my life and in so many of yours. God's the giver of breath. This is what this is, this is, you know, this is Genesis 2, when God breathes life into Adam and he, and he animates. He's, he's there. He's a person. He's alive because God breathes on. So the Job, Job in Job 33 says the same thing, that, that the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And apart from this, apart from this attachment to God, if God is, God is literally our breath. God is our air. And apart from him, we are suffocating spiritually. When there's distance between you and God, when there's distance between me and God, we are suffocating spiritually, whether we realize it or not. Suffocation leads to death. Just answer God's question to Ezekiel. Just in your own mind, like, just answer God's question to Ezekiel. Do you believe that God can make dead bones come alive? 
Do you believe that God can make dead teenager bones in Monrovia, Alabama come to life? Do you believe that God can rip teenagers like you out of their apathy and out of their sin and make them come to life to live the life that he intended them to have? Do you believe that God can do that? Because I do. Because I've seen it over and over and over and over again. Because God is not interested in leaving you where you are. God is interested in redeeming and restoring you. God is a God who loves you perfectly, sent his son to die for you, to rip you out of all that mess, and to give you the kind of life that he intended you to have, to have a life where you're connected to him, where you know him, get to abide in him. It says that Jesus came to give you life and give you life abundantly. But instead, so many of us trade that for the suffocating dryness. Have you chosen suffocating dryness over the life that God intended you to have? Have you chosen to suffocate? Reminds me of the story of this guy named George Stathakis. I think that's how you say it. It's a really weird last name, I don't know. Um, Stathakis, so old George, George is a metaphysicist. I can barely say that, so the fact that he is one is impressive. Um, and so George, back in the 1930s, uh, wrote a series of metaphysics textbooks because he's a giant nerd, okay? And so George writes some metaphysics textbooks, but George is a little poor because metaphysicists don't make a lot of money in the 30s because it's a bad time to be alive. And so George needs to get some money so he can publish his metaphysics. I'm not making this up, the real story. Um, George needs to get some money so he can publish his metaphysics textbooks. So you know what he decides to do? He decides to get in a barrel and go over Niagara Falls because metaphysicists apparently aren't that smart. Now, there's been a string of people by 1930. I don't know why they didn't have rules in the 30s, but that's probably a great time to be alive where you can just decide you're going to do this and everybody's like, yeah, <laughs> do it, right? They don't let you do that kind of stuff anymore, right? Wear seat belts and all that. So, um, so in the 30s, they let you jump off Niagara Falls if you want to, and a series of people had done that. The first one was a, a school teacher. 63-year-old school teacher, literally got in like a normal wooden barrel like people have in their yard or something, like, and had a pillow on her head. And she lived. I don't know how. She said it was the, later she said she would rather stand in front of a cannon knowing it would blow her to bits than go off Niagara Falls again. So she didn't have a very good time, but she lived. Another guy got a giant rubber ball and got in it. He went off. He was fine. So George Stathakis is like, shoot, this is going to be great. I'll charge admission. I'll get in a big old barrel. I'm a metaphysicist. I'm smart. I'll make an awesome barrel and make double sure I don't die. Okay, one guy made a metal barrel. He jacked up his kneecaps and broke his jaw, but that was the worst injury thus far until George Stathakis made a 2,000-pound barrel. That's a hoss of a barrel. And on June, July 6, 1930, Stathakis and his pet turtle, no lie, got inside. Dude brought his pet turtle. Um, <laughs> they got inside. He's got space. It's a 2,000-pound barrel. It's huge. He can, like, bring his whole family. They get, in the, they get in the barrel. It's got pads and stuff, you know, whatever. It's, uh, it's, like, a, it's like what one of our NASA people would make. He makes this, like, Niagara spaceship, okay? And, um, and <laughs> they get, the, him and the turtle get in the thing, and they go off the side. It doesn't break apart. It's just fine. Problem is, is that George's 2,000-pound um, barrel didn't hit the water and shoot off, like shoot out and float downstream. It got caught under the falls. And it tumbled and tumbled. And it just sat there, stuck. 
for 18 hours. Can't go rescue somebody out from under Niagara Falls. And George Tathakis and his pet turtle suffocated inside of their little bubble. George Tathakis worked so hard to curate, to create this little thing that was going to keep him safe to make this little bubble for him to live in that was going to protect him, that was going to be just, just right where he wasn't going to have anything to worry about. But then when it came to the one thing that matters most, his breath, he suffocated. I think sometimes we live lives where we work really hard to curate our little bubbles, where we work really hard to make sure we've got the high, like a high enough ACT score, we've got the right friends and you know, we got the coolest haircut so like some, somebody will like us or whatever. We, we work real hard to make sure that our life is built just right so it's going to protect us and it's going to sustain us and it's going to be just perfect. And in our busyness and in our effort to, to build our little bubble, we forget about breathing. We forget about the giver of breath. We get so busy that we detach ourselves. We literally suffocate ourselves spiritually because we're too busy, too interested in everything else around us. Have you been suffocating? Have you been choosing to suffocate? If so, man, I, I would plead with you. Like right now, just do what James says. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Christians, man, if, if there has been distance, if there has been apathy, if you know that you're suffocating, there's this dryness spiritually in you that, that just be done with that. Can we just be done with that? And just in your mind right now, just stop listening to me and just run to Jesus. Just start con like talking, confessing, like whatever you need to do. Just have a conversation with God in your mind to shut me down because you need him. You don't need anything else from me. And if he's, if he's talking to you and if he's saying, look, man, if you have a memory of what it was like to have an abiding relationship with Jesus, let's not make that a memory. Let's make that a reality. So when we sing things like my bones will cry out, that that is true. That's not a wish. That's my hope for you. So you just do that right now. But as our band is coming up, there's another group in the room that, um, that you can't remember a time when it was right. You can't remember a time when your life had this vibrant relationship with Jesus because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I need you to know this, that apart from Jesus, even in, in times when there's like a week when I'm not spending as much time with Jesus, like my life is nowhere near where it is when I'm with him. And you've been living your entire life away from him. And the, the most important, the best decision, any of us who are Christians in the room, we'd all tell you this, is, is, the, is the best decision we ever made was to trust our lives to Jesus, to run to him, to run to the giver of life, the giver of breath, to let him give us life again, to, to take away all that deadness and all that brokenness, to fix everything that we have been broken. Students, here's the deal. Jesus died to pay for all your mistakes to offer himself as a gift for you. And when you accept that gift, when you trust Jesus with your life, all that stuff's forgotten, all that stuff is forgiven. You've been given a new life. God breathes his newness into you and you get to live again a way that you haven't ever before. If you feel that emptiness, you feel that formlessness, that, that you feel like that balloon, let God, let God breathe his breath into you to, to make you whole, to give you the relationship he intends you to have. Don't choose to suffocate one more day.
in just a little while, you're going to go to small groups. And there's going to be an adult in that small group, or a couple of them. And they would love to talk with you, not in your group time, that's weird. They would love to talk with you after Greenhouse about what it means to follow Jesus and how you can have this life-giving relationship with Jesus. So at the end of your group, what you do is you just walk over to your leader and say, hey, can we talk? And they'll go find a space with you and just sit down with you and you get to ask whatever you wanna ask of them. And you're not gonna offend them. You're not gonna, you might stump them, but you're not gonna offend them. They're not gonna push anything on you. They just want to try to help you get answers so you can come to a point where you can choose whether this Jesus is the Jesus you want. We want you to know the God that we know. Don't walk out here without doing that. We're gonna stand, we're gonna sing that same song again and I bet, I bet we sing it differently this time. Fair? Stand with us. Let's do this.